0: Hi guys, this is Tom Carter, and you're listening to Talking With TK.
1: Guys, welcome back to Talking With TK. I'm your host, Tristan Connell. We are up to episode... 93 and our special guest today is tom carter tom if you're really into your rugby union he was a great player for the new south wales waratahs he's capped 85 times he's also one of the premier sydney grade players as well he won eight first grade premierships during the Sydney Uni's recent dynasty of premierships. So he's a great shoot shield player as well. So really glad to have him on the show, doing some great things in both fitness, health, and also strength and conditioning with athletes. He's got his business. He's the director and founder of Human Performance. Definitely check out their website, www.humanperformance.com.au, and also across all the different social medias. I'll have those links in the show notes if you can't find them on Google. But he's also the strength and conditioning coach at the Sydney Sixers in the big in the big bash. So he's doing some great things both in terms of helping your everyday people and also helping athletes both improve their mindset and their fitness. So really glad to get Tom on the show. Whether it's your first time here or you you know you're a regular, you could subscribe for free via iTunes or Apple Podcasts. It's recently been added to Google Podcasts and also Google Play. So if you've got an Android, there's an easy way for you to access the show it's also on other apps such as overcast stitcher pocket casts or you can find it conveniently all online at www.talkingwithtk.com please connect with me on all different social medias whether you want to get in touch about any of the episodes or you want to send through any guest requests on facebook or twitter you'll find me at talking with tk instagram i'm tristan nell you also find me on linkedin or my normal facebook at tristan cannell which is spelled k apostrophe N-E-double-L, or send through anything, I'd love to have a yarn. Tristan at talkingwithtk.com is my email. Alright guys, excited to bring this episode to you and I introduce Tom Carter. Welcome to the podcast. Tom Welcome. Carter.
0: Thanks very much. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for having yeah. me in your home, mate. Beautiful place and you know, nice and welcoming. So nice. appreciate that, buddy. Yeah,
2: thanks very much.
1: So, Tom, tell me a little bit about, because I know you're very excited about human human performance, and it's kind of like your little baby at the moment, but you've been, in, obviously, in the fitness and strength and conditioning world for a little while now. So, tell me a little bit about your transition and a little bit about human performance.
0: Yeah, look, I think probably, um, you know, during, I suppose, early 2000s when I was, you know, trying to, I guess, crack it as a professional footballer, I suppose I surrounded myself with some really incredible people at University, yeah. and they were... I guess, quite instrumental in my development, I guess, physically to go from playing Australian sevens to being physically capable of sort of playing um, super rugby. And so I guess that inquisitive nature of, you know, asking myself why led me to get involved in the strength and conditioning sphere and, and, you know, sort of tried it all from Olympic lifting and powerlifting to to, um, you know, being quite lean and and, and focusing on, um, you know, sprinting and running mechanics, not that anyone would ever... Um, you know, professed to say I had a great speed, um, but I guess I tried a lot of those things yeah. um, in my own journey, and so just developed a real passion for helping people. And felt like that, you know, by being um, excellent or well, giving yourself the best opportunity, the best physical version of yourself, um, you're allowed to perform your skills in any chosen sport. And so, started volunteering, just helping guys out. I think the cricket program up there at Sydney University, and um, a couple of athletes along the way. Um, out of it, you know, whilst I was playing professional rugby, mm. I felt like it was an opportunity to give back um, and just learnt, I suppose, um, through, through trial and error. And then um, I finished up with the Oratars in 2013, and we were trying to start a corporate health, um, I guess, business and looking at sort of branching into that, um, but didn't really know how to get that off the ground. So um, just went into personal training through human performance in 2014, and yeah, you know, really proud of it, I suppose, five years now. and ebbed and flowed a little bit i think um given a lot of myself a lot of my time to you know organizations whether it be the city university football club or mm-hmm. or the sixes um and they've been wonderful um experiences for me but very time intensive so yeah. you know this last six months has been an opportunity to probably just give some love back to the business and um yeah it's something that i've really loved i'm passionate about it i think um the people that you meet along the way um from your everyday clients to your to your superstars, as everyone say, or, or your elite athletes, um, they certainly teach you a lot about yourself, but probably, you know, more importantly, shape your your, your life values and directions that you need to head towards. Yeah, you've
1: done some really impressive things, especially in the cricket world, you Now, <laughs> Did you intentionally kind of steer away from rugby, especially at the start, maybe just to learn some stuff about some different sports?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think rugby's probably consumed my life for a long time, yeah. and, and so it's been nice for the first time in... Um, 18 years, I'm not directly involved in a rugby program this year, so yeah. by either playing or, 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 or running it or working in it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I suppose, like all things, it has to come to an end. Um, still feel like, you know, you watch games, but you probably watch them differently now. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, look, cricket, really fortunate. Obviously, knew Brad hadn't been a lifelong friend, one of my yeah. closest friends. And then um, when his daughter got sick, um, and he was looking to try and make a comeback, he sort of inquired about coming to do some work with me. And, um, yeah, I felt I offered a very different perspective on things, but probably to what conventional SNCs do. And I guess my greatest strength is that I've played sport at a relatively um, decent level, so I can relate to the athletes about, you know, as I say to them, it's not my job to teach them to, you know, move better, um, in terms of you know, the technical side of things, but physically I can help them hold positions and, yep. and, and, and understand that, and i try and relate, I guess, what they want to get out of an S&C. And, and then there's obviously, um, you know, there's still the principles of, of sports science and, and you know, fundamental biomechanics and kinematics of movement, which I probably you know, like to stick to, um, which then I try and, I, over time, develop a good enough relationship that we can build on those foundations or building blocks of movement. Um, and then obviously mould them with their own ideologies and views. And then I suppose probably the most important thing is developing a real strong identity or behaviours around what it takes to be the best version of themselves. And there's, you know, I suppose Brad I've just touched upon and and then obviously Nathan Lyon and a few of those guys have been, uh, you know, pretty incredible to know that, you know, I suppose I met Nathan um, and he'd taken about 80-odd test wickets and now he's obviously taken 300 and... You know, um, he has his challenges like we all do around you know um, consistently um, physically performing at that level and, and and being up all the time. But it's been a great journey to go on, and um, you know he's a wonderful um, you know you know friend, but also person to work with, and I feel very fortunate to know them, and, and, and obviously similar for Brad. Um, Brad's probably one, he's an outlier in that sense, and,
1: and stands alone for, for a variety of reasons. Yeah, Hazz is awesome. He's come on the podcast before. He's a great guy. Where'd you first meet
0: him? No, uh, we, uh, we, funnily enough, his, his dad grew up in Cowra, and... Um,
2: another yeah, country lad. Yeah, another
0: country lad, and so we had some mutual friends, and then actually I was playing um, cricket at Northern Districts and he was a wiki keeper. They brought him up from sort of Queanbeyan. So that was sort of, that was early 2000s or late 90s, early 2000s and then yeah, it's been a pretty incredibly long history and you know, he's, uh, he's probably taught me more about s and 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 sport than I've learnt through a textbook or through my own experiences and um, you know, to see his performances in that those Ashes, particularly out here, um, you know, when outside of Mitchell Johnson, arguably he was probably one of our better players mm. and winning World Cups. And, you know, for him to be able to keep for 90 overs and then still take those catches um, is a testament to his mental and physical fitness. But I suppose, you know, his courage to, to push through barriers.
1: And that's probably what he's, you know, taught me along the way. Yeah, at that highest level, like you've played for New South Wales, to all your best mates playing at that highest level for Australia like that importance of SNC especially when the gap between talent is just so small is that kind of the distinguishing feature especially that hard work and trying to get stronger and trying to
0: yeah I think so and I think that that's an exciting time for cricket I don't know Justin Langer but I believe you know the reputation is that he'll want them to be really fit I think he came out yesterday and said you know the key to one day cricket is being fit running hard between yeah. the wickets and having a presence in the field and Look, I know everyone will say that at that level physically there isn't much difference, but um, I think you're seeing starting to see an emergence um, in sport of the programs that do a really good job of that immersing S and C into the skills and technical aspects are the ones that are really um, going on. I know there was the tactical periodisation of John Pryor yeah. and Eddie Jones with Japan at the last Rugby World Cup, and you know even now I suppose you've seen in, in the football recently with you know Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool the the, yeah. you know, the Ganga pressing or Excuse me, Paul, pronunciation. <laughs> um,
1: but you liked your game on the weekend? Yeah, I did. It was disappointing. I Are you a Liverpool? Yeah, yeah. A OK. Right. We talked about the name. No. So
0: that's all. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, um, yeah. And then, I think you've seen this year in the NRL with uh, the Rabbitohs, you know, Paul Devlin and Anthony Seabold have done a great variation of it where they've been able to, you know, they talked about 73% um, of their pre-season was spent attacking. And you can see how a team that probably was off the radar or under the radar a little bit's come come through, through fruition. So... Um, I think and then obviously Melbourne Storm you know they've been the leaders for a long time so I think the correlation's massive and I think um, as sports science and um, SNCs get better and immerse that with the technical skills of a coach um, I think it'll only keep becoming more profound um, ultimately you know if you can move early to be in a position or move more efficiently to see the game better you're going to be able to execute your skills because at that level their skills are pretty good like, yeah, you know the, the best of the best you know they can all they can 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 all um i guess um perform those skills and then you know the 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 mental and psychological behaviors around hard work and making sure that they know that they're you know have done something they've never done before so they feel very confident um to trust their skills under fatigue is is an element that i think we're seeing and yeah it's, it's it's pretty amazing i think um where it all goes, um, it'll be a fascinating journey in the next sort of ten years.
1: Yeah, have you spoken to anyone about someone like Cameron Smith, for example? Cameron Smith, like he, you know, the players around him all look like Tarzan, yet he's been able to play for 15 years, no major injuries, representing Queensland and Australia. He's the captain as well, so he's also got that psychological burden plus mm. the physical burden. In your rugby days, had you seen anyone sort of comparable or maybe something that we can compare to? Oh, I think
0: everyone talks about sort of George Smith, the guy who beat nine and yet, you know, he's the best player in the world consistently yeah. and being able to read the game. And I think, you know, there's a durability to both Cameron Smith and George Smith. So I think that's an athletic quality. And, you know, durability, the ability to play so many games are obviously trained that way. Um, you know, they obviously would feel like they were letting their teammates down if they didn't do the work during the mm. week. So, I mean, he might not look like the most one athletic player, but he clearly is. You know, to yeah. play that many games of footy, the way he moves, um, he's always in the position and, and obviously the skills of his um, you know, or the requirements of his game, he's able to execute the wrestle and you know, accelerate laterally out of dummy half when he needs to, and um, I think you know, uh, you know, anyone who has longevity in professional sport this day and age for over 10 years is clearly a, a physical phenomena, and I think you know Cameron Smith and George Smith have done that. Um, they're probably
1: the two that come to my mind. Yeah, for sure. Now, Tom, I wanna to learn more about your upbringing. So, take <laughs> me back a little bit to Young, because you know, before we got on, you'll tell me about all these boys that have come out of the country, and especially around the Young. Tell me a little bit about Young and just a little bit about your family background.
0: Yeah, so we grew up on a cattle farm sort of in between Young and and Grenfell on Thadunga Road. And, you know, ironically now, you know, I suppose 20 years later you look back and there's obviously been uh, Simon Wolford and and Brett Hetherington came out of Young and and the Mm. Mullins brothers. Um, And then obviously we were were discussing earlier off on air, you know, Tim Davidson and Will Corbell who we played with at Sydney University. You know, Will was the most capped lock for a long time at the Waratahs. Uh, but obviously now, you know, Nathan Lyon and um, Angus Crichton, and it's quite there funny, you, you, know, I, you know, Nathan often tells me that they're going to you know, put up a statue in him in the town. And, he uh, says yeah, that. Yeah, he tells me that all the time. <laughs> no, do he'll, he'll be embarrassed by that. But no, look, he's, um, you know, he's claimed to fame is that he's the most successful um, sporting person out of young. And, yeah, I think, outside of that, I think it was Kerry Junior Saxby, the walker, um, back in the day. So... Um, yeah, I suppose a small, um, you know, cherry-picking capital of, of Australia and, you know, a humble, hard-working farming families and, um, you know, I think, you know, incredible place to grow up. I think my memory was just, you know, about playing footy with, you know, the brothers in the backyard or, or at, um, you know... Friends' houses and not ever getting to touch the footy much, but learning how to tackle. So it was like a privilege to attack with it, which probably shaped my footy career because um, I wasn't very good at attacking, but I certainly could tackle well. Um, but yeah, look, I think the values of um, you know being in droughts and surviving them. You know, we talk about it all the time. You know, you haven't suffered until you survive a drought. You know, and I think that um, the ability to hang in there when times are tough holds you in really good stead for your business, but also probably your sporting career and. Um, you know, lots of people give farmers feedback and, and critique them, but they sort of have the courage and fortitude to formulate their own ideologies yeah. and, and keep going. So, yeah, really grateful for that. Um, I guess upbringing and certainly shape the way I am today. It's probably, yeah. probably um, you know, playing league didn't you know um, hinder my opportunities as well in football. You know, being able to carry on the right side and and, and run with lines and tackles. So, so yeah, you played a little bit of league. Yeah, played de- back played back in you know league and young and. Yeah, loved it. It was really, really good, I think. Um, what were you? Uh I was a right side the second row, because I could only carry one, one arm, and one step, one way. <laughs> Why was that? Oh, mate, I was pretty limited, so <laughs> I, was, I, <laughs> I transferred that into professional rugby, so it was good.
1: What was the age difference between you and your brothers?
0: Uh yeah so my brother my second oldest brother turned 40 Uh, or turns 40 the next month and then my other one's 41 so for 5 and 6 years so,
1: so that was um, a tough one either, yeah yeah, yeah long it long was long yeah long and a
0: sister in between us who was always protected so you know she was obviously tip and the rest of us were life contact. so <laughs> um, yeah I mean I remember vividly dad just dropping us at the mailbox and um, making us run home and, and you know things like that so I felt like it was a very good active background and um, yeah I remember sort of you know not performing that well in Lachlan Valley Cricket when I was 12 or 13 and I think I got like three or four ducks in a row and dad's like right mate out you go like, what am I running for he goes mate you can't. I can't keep driving around the country if you're going to keep getting no runs like that's no good at all so I remember that thinking wow it's probably time I perform a little bit better that's, uh,
1: the, that's where the motivation started, yeah, 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 the psychology
0: yeah it did yeah, dude, yeah. No, you know and, and, and if in doubt throw the kids out and make them exercise which probably in this day and age it's ironically not it's not a bad idea so <laughs> um, yeah I mean I think you know really grateful for that and, and probably um, you know taught me some good life lessons early
1: yeah for sure did you go to boarding school
0: yeah I went to the boarding school so then came to to King's for one year and then mum and dad we finished sold up our property and we moved um, to uh, the North Shore so yeah okay. played with the Wurrunga Tigers which was nice um, with, I think Cameron Clark's a uh, an old Wurrunga Tiger, so I saw his socks on at the Waratahs the other week when they were wearing their club socks, yeah. so played the Wurrunga Tigers and then, and then ended up at Knox Grammar, so, yeah. yeah, it's it's been a pretty, um you know, fortunate upbringing.
1: How was that sort of transition going from country boy to city slicker <laughs> straight up?
0: Yeah, look, I, I'll be honest, it took me a while to wear the white converses, you know, I think, um, <laughs> I was trying to hang on to my RMs for a while, but, uh, yeah, look, I think, you know, Sydney's just a different pace and it's very busy and helter skelter, which certain parts of your life's good, but yeah. you know, you miss the quiet of the country and the stars and things like that. So, probably don't get there as much as I'd like and um, hopefully get back there one day sooner rather than later. But uh, yeah, look, I think the adjustment to city life's always a challenge, and mm. I think a lot of the country boys miss the quiet of, of, of the home.
1: Before we go on, who was your regular league team when you were growing up?
0: I was West Tigers. So, I ran away uh, from home when I was six and 89 when Benny Elias's field goal hit the crossbar. And,
1: you ran away from home.
0: Yeah, ran away from home, yeah. Hit in the forest for a, for a good couple of hours because, uh, you know, I was just so devastated. In 88, of course, Terry Lamb took out Ellery Hanley. And then, he did. And then, obviously, Warren Ryan made the decision to replace Steve Roach. The zero. And, yeah, and then, you know, I just remember, you know, um, Kevin Hardwick missed the tackle on uh, the Canberra player. And and Steve Jackson, was Steve he? Jackson, yeah. yeah. And so they scored. And ironically, it was I think Kevin Hardwick came to coach us in the 19s in New South Wales, maybe in 2001
1: had you I, forgiven him?
0: No. So, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it wasn't his fault. The game was gone by then. But I remember sort of Andy Currie's try he set up. And you talk about momentum in big games. And it's sort of like, it's funnily enough, you know, we lost the 2005, sorry, 2008 Super Rugby Final. Yeah. Similar circumstances, you know, a few injuries. And, you know, Curly Bill gets a try, disallowed. If Benny Lyce's field goes over. You know, they probably win so It's just those inches. It's like yeah, it is. Sunday or whatever, yeah, Sunday, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, it is and um, you know. I just remember thinking the world was so unfair, and um, you know, obviously the Tigers didn't have a lot of success to 2005, and um, well, when they won, it was Sydney's first premiership that we won, so we went down to Victoria Road late at night and, and celebrated, so it was pretty, um, pretty uh, you know, good symbolism for that story. Sounds like a good one.
1: Now, you weren't that complimentary about your rugby league skills. Mm. Tell me about your first experience actually playing rugby union.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I was just playing for the Roonga Tigers. Oh, actually, mate, I would have been a king. So, yeah, I was trying to play 5'8", which, you know, was probably reinventing 10-man um, rugby. I wasn't kicking it, I was just <laughs> probably carrying it. But, um, yeah, look, I think, you know, similar transference at that age. You know, you can tackle, run, and, yeah. you know, probably don't understand the nuances of it all. But Were you a big kid? Nah uh, I was pretty skinny. I was in the middle of this sort of ran 400s. But, no, it was pretty, like, gangly, and it didn't really fill out until sort of, you know, late teens, early 20s. But... But again, manufactured, not, not, you know, genetically the most blessed guy. I felt, you know, I felt like uh, you know, it was good together, you know, joints and put together, you know, with some good um, muscle mass, which I think comes from mum's side, the, the Scottish heritage. But yeah, you know, really had to work hard to, to put that weight on initially, and you know, I wish you could uh, freeze those moments because when you get older, mate, you're trying to get it off you the whole time, so <laughs> it doesn't tend to want to go on you when you're young, and then you know the weight doesn't want to come off when you get older. So, um, but. Yeah, really, you know, I guess being able to transfer those skills. Just loved all sport, cricket, tennis, running. Um, And and yeah, I probably wasn't the world's greatest uh, schoolboy footballer, that's for sure. Um, Mm. But, you know, just developed over time. I was fortunate to get a really good coaching under at Sydney Uni and and just took my love of it from there.
1: Yeah, I need to ask you about the mindset and preparation because I saw on LinkedIn the other day, I'm going to read it to you, Lottie Takiri. Tom was meticulous at every aspect of his game. And it was well reported, well rewarded with great performance. That's a big, pretty big rap from a, an absolute yeah. superstar of rugby. And obviously, he's seen firsthand yeah. your preparation, which was probably you know you talked about maybe not being as talented, maybe as Curtly Bill, but yeah. I'm sure there was a kind of equaliser maybe with your work ethic. Where'd that come from?
0: Yeah, I think just mum and dad. You know, I felt like it was such a privilege to be given an opportunity to play professional sport, um, and so you know, I think. I, I tried to really master the process, I spoke about that a lot in my career, of mm. you know, particularly Monday to Friday, you know, your Saturday's re- result was a consequence of what you did during that week, and, you know, certainly try to control some things that I could, you know, your S&C and doing your extras and having a plan, because it's really easy, you know, you get caught in that, you know, feedback, particularly when I was playing the Waratahs, you're getting critiqued from everyone, even at the coffee yeah. shop, you know, the, the the trolling on social media your own personal, I guess, um, performance expectations and then, you know, your teammates and then the coaches. So it's really easy to get lost. So trying to navigate yourself through that is is, is by having a really good plan and sort of evolving it over time. I probably didn't transfer the work that I did during the week enough into the games. Like, I think, you know, looking back, you, you spend your whole time trying to become a professional rugby player and then when you get there you spend your whole time trying to hold on yeah, okay. and then when it's all over you spend your whole time just trying to remember it and you know, I suppose I, was, I think um, you can remember some games um, obviously towards the back end of my career I can remember the games when Check came on in 2013 mm-hmm. um, and some of those earlier ones but um, you know you feel with so much anxiety to perform and you feel like it could be your last opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> well, ironically one coach once said that to me you know you never know when it's your last game before we were about to run out and I remember thinking Jesus this isn't inspiring me you know like <laughs> um, but I think that's the, that's the courage of great, te- great coaches and great teams is to get them to express themselves without fear of failure yeah. and you know sometimes you see someone push a pass and everyone goes why aren't they you know holding on to the football but I suppose it's the ability to express yourself without Fear of consequences, which is important as well. So, um, I don't know if I've got that blend right, but um, yeah, look back on my career and it's, it's a wonderful compliment for Lottie. You know, he was someone who I looked up to in terms of how he was about a professionalism. Mm. And, um, you know, even Wendell Saylor in, in the early years, you know, the way those guys trained. And yeah, I think you you look back and if you could have your career again, it, it'd be you certainly wouldn't um, waste as many moments worrying about things that you couldn't control and you try and become a little even a bit more internalised
1: Guys we hope you're enjoying the episode with Tom Carter, if you haven't yet last week on the show we had former Waratahs and Wallaby's number 8 great David Lyons on the show so here is just a quick little preview of my chat with Dave
2: um, Looking back at the 2003 World Cup final I think we went into that match training in Darwin, it had been hot like 25, 28 degrees all week mm. and we were we planned on playing like we did against the All Blacks, throwing the ball wide, playing in the outside channels and we were confident against England that we played them at that game, that we could beat them. But what happened, I don't know if you remember, um, the morning of the match wake up, it's pouring rain yeah. and I could just feel that no one really mentioned it, but I could feel that feeling amongst the team that that little advantage we had were, was probably gone. And you're looking back at the team they had, what that great forward pack, and, and it was really, they were probably the better all-round team without doubt.
1: Yeah.
2: Our, our advantage was, was going to be to try and run them off their feet. And once it got to that wet game with Johnny Wilkinson and the forward pack they had, they are a much better all-round side. And um, that was the difference in yeah. there
1: So go back and check that out. If you're a big rugby fan, you'll probably appreciate the episodes we've had with the likes of James Horwell, David Campisi, Dean Mum, Sia Fienger, Clyde Rathbone, Nathan Sharp, and many more. So please share it with your family and friends. If it's your first time here, you could subscribe via Apple or Google Podcasts. Other apps that are pretty good are Overcast, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, or you'll find it all online at www.talkingwithtk.com. All right, guys, let's get back to the show. Just that gap between, did you say you played a little bit of sevens before you actually break yeah. through into the Waratahs? Yeah, trials? so my brother captained me, was the captain of the Australian Sevens, so I played in
0: 2003 and four. so I was fortunate enough to get picked from Sydney and Ecults Colts to go up to a tournament in 2002 at Papua New Guinea at the back end of the year, and, and did relatively well. Yeah. Um, you know, Port Moresby was in a pretty incredible experience, and then got picked into the Shadow Squad, and then just trained with them over summer. and and was fortunate enough to get some games, so um, yeah, it was an incredible experience. I think running around against some of the superstars that there are there now, and you know Fiji were um, fully fledged, and obviously a full you know strength. And so was um, New Zealand. So yeah, some pretty familiar faces, and um, that have gone on to do really well in the in the Fifteens game. And yeah, it was um, it was a pretty again like very nervous. You know, you're playing at Twickenham in front of 50, yeah. sixty thousand on a Sunday against England, and just things happen so fast and I think I dropped the ball at Brisbane in 2003 and felt like we probably lost us the tournament it was Lottie's first game in rugby actually or first tournament in rugby so I dropped the ball in a quarter final was sort of watching the defence not concentrating and you live with those things so yeah, yeah you really. feel a little bit like um, I wish I could have my time again but you know it's a great foundations for the game particularly developing aerobic capacity core skills of passing tracking breakdown work so you know it's a wonderful avenue for you to learn what it's like to be always required to perform at that level
1: yeah Sydney uni mm. you guys had a massive dynasty mm. probably one of the best dynasties in the history <laughs> of, of club rugby in, yeah. in Sydney can you explain yeah. the dominance like why were Sydney uni so dominant over that period
0: uh, oh, we just had such an incredible program in the sense that coaches could come and go and I think they did over time I think it ended up being six or seven coaches coaches in that 10 year period mm. Um and we won, I think, eight or nine or eight. Um, but yeah, look, it was just the ability. I think we had some great leaders. Tim Davidson was the um, captain, and you know, um, and I think you know, ridiculous record of 150 games, captaining and 135 wins or something. And then um, we had Daniel Alangaru, who, who's now coaching over at North Harbour. But was he was a wonderful 5'8". And then we just were a great group of friends who felt like in a moment in a time in life, we'd sacrifice a lot of things for us to be extraordinary. And so, you know, we had moments where we'd have a few glimpses or blimps, but it was one of those opportunities where you'd look each other in the eye and you'd know that in the big moments you'd be there for each other and and you'd deliver. And, um, yeah, some wonderful memories and, 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 and some, you know, um, built on the back of really hard work, you know, yeah. really, really hard work. You know, we were often underdogs or undermanned, but we found a way to win, so... Yeah, uh, I think probably some of my fondest memories there, and but the ability to express yourself and play with probably not as many anxiety, mind you. It did become you know anxiety provoking at the back end when you felt like you had to win, and if you lost, you know some people would start giving you some looks. But um, yeah, look, it was a wonderful, wonderful time of life, and um, you wish those moments could last forever.
1: Yeah, for sure. Was actually one of my friends actually wanted me to ask you this with Sydney being that dominant. Do you think that was detrimental for the growth of the actual sports or was it just one of those things that you guys were just too good?
0: No, I think it's been really good. I think you see club rugby now and I think it's inspired people like Warringah. I know the Holmes' and the family have really worked hard to build up that club and obviously Manly have done so they pick it picked their years. game Yeah, absolutely. Thing. And I think yeah. we've got a really bad psyche in Australian sport of, you know, um, tall poppy tall syndrome, poppy. so cutting it down, rather than actually building everyone up. And I think it's been great. I think, you know, Sydney University's doing really well this year uh, in the grade, but their cults are not going so well. So clearly mm. Eastern Suburbs and Roundwick have recruited really well in cults. They've added value to this, their um, university programs or their career or player welfare or S&C. They recruited well and retained local talent and now you see that those two are quite strong in cults. And so over time there's an equalisation I think you know I'm very critical of Australian rugby in, in that it's easy to take pot shots and say well Sydney University won because they had scholarships Well, we won because David Watermore was an incredible president um, and we had a really really good infrastructure and structure around supporting coaches and players and, and a program of great S&Cs Tim Lane Marty Harland ran an incredible SNC program there for year where, years where guys came in and just developed so um Replicated elsewhere, like yeah. you know what I mean. Like let's go at you know let's try and get that out at Western Sydney. Let's get some good governance. Let's get some really good SNC programs, and then it's the ability for the coaches to feel supported so they can do their job. And so it was a lot, kind of like a professional unit in a yeah. semi-professional sports. Yeah, job, it was, and know. there's an art. There's an art to getting eighty or ninety guys to turning up four days. Of yeah, week, for sure. Especially know, with like work commitments yeah, it and it is, university. Yeah. And so um, I think um, success breeds lots of problems as well. But um, I felt like you know if there was one person that you know you know David Mortimer was just such an incredible pioneer in that regard for leadership and so I think you know from 2001 to 2013 you know it was like you know something like 10 or 11 grand finals and you know it was just this expectation that you know um but a positive expectation of what was an acceptable standard and and how you had to prepare and how you had to perform and Yeah, it holds you in good stead, I think, for 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 rather facets of your life.
1: Yeah, Tom, you've mentioned the word leadership a few times now. And I actually love it. Like I love exploring different leaderships, especially across different sports, across different businesses. For yourself, who do you think's been the kind of the strongest influence leadership wise? And maybe a few traits that you really admire out of them?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, um, I think for example, I mean, Tim Davidson obviously had an incredible capacity to manage people and, and communicate and, and get everyone as, to play for a collective. And, and then, you know, David Mortimer, as I've touched upon, was a club president who was yep. just this visionary for how to set up a rugby program and, and manage people and get everyone going in the right direction. And even, I think, you know, Phil War- the Waratahs led from example and was this, you know, incredible, you know, I'll lead you out of the trenches. So I think you see various styles over time, mm. um, you know, they're probably the ones that come to the fore, obviously they were the ones that I played for the most with Tim and, and Phil and then obviously David was the president um, they were they were pretty powerful um, I know Brad had and leads through honesty and truth and it's just an incredible um, thing over time that you just know where you stand which is where you want, you know, you think about it you come out of professional sport where you're consistently getting feedback in your business life or your business, you don't often get that but, you know, for someone to provide that um, both for me when I was training with him, and, but also to see him do it in a, in a team setting, I think, is um, really refreshing and, and, you know, that's a powerful motive as well to, to change. And then, yeah, there's obviously different leaders have different strengths, but um, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all model. It's about being able to work with different people um, and relate to them and, yep. ha- and connect with them. And um, Yeah, I think that they're, they're, they're the best leaders are the ones that are able to make subtle adjustments and shifts over time. And, and that's where the great leaders to have success over time or sustain sustain success um, and longevity is incredible because you're doing it with different people yeah um, it's easy to win one premiership but to win two and three and four you know to win five you know and that's where you look at Cameron Smith and Melbourne and Bellamy and it's unheard of in the modern day or you know even you know Hawthorne under Clarkson, when you know Luke, Luke Hodge when they won three yeah. and four is sustained sustain success over a long period of time is really hard. Um, and so <laughs> that's incredible leadership. And so that adaptive and, and being able to sort of take people on a journey, as I'd say, is something that um, I certainly probably didn't have the patience for or disposition, but, 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 but you know, you felt certainly engaged
1: by the right people you, you, you'd run through brick walls for them. In terms of body contacts in leadership, have you noticed, because now you're behind the scenes on a high-level mm-hmm. cricket team, Obviously, there's no body contact, so the differences in being aggressive on the field a little bit different. Is there any difference, do you think, and is it an advantage having body contact in rugby in no. terms of the leadership?
0: Um, I think... It's a really good question, I think.
1: Oh, just something I thought just then. just no, being no, no, curious Because no. I've never met someone like yourself that's been in the camp of... It's usually you've only been in one yeah. camp, high level. And it's like observation-wise, just... I think in cricket, skill
0: based—you know—skill based sports. For example, non-contact sports. You've brought, it helps being the best player. In yeah, team. Of do you know what I mean? Like leading yeah. by example, and particularly a numbers game like cricket, where whether you're batting or bowling, if you're taking wickets or you're, you're batting and you're getting really good runs, then it's yeah. probably an easier position to be in a power—you know—to to influence. Uh, but it's also harder because obviously, if you're not performing, you've still got to be captain. So. Um, yeah. That's a real challenge, whereas in rugby, you know, you can make a big tackle or you can be really good behind the scenes like Dave Dennis Wells was at the Waratahs at managing people or you can meet Mike Michael Hooper and make a big run. So it's probably a little bit more tangible and easy to to, to shift a game in, in, in rugby than probably um, mm. an other sport. But where where cricketers tend to be quite incredible is they're able to come out of themselves and give to the team even though they might be struggling with their own personal form and that's a, that's a great skill, you know, yeah, I don't know any... Sure. Leaders in business that would be able to do that—they might be struggling really in their own performance, but they're able to come out of themselves and give to others. And
1: they find a way, don't they? Yeah,
0: they do, and they do, and they're very resilient, and and they find capabilities or, or capacities that you wouldn't think were there through hard work and and through and, you know repetition and consistency of practice. So um, I think it helps in rugby to have a, a forward that's a captain because ultimately, you know, forwards win you the game. Backs mm. are probably determined by how much. So. You know, being able to stand up in the trenches and say, boys, this is what we're doing, <clears throat> you know, holds you in good stead. So, um, yeah, it's a very interesting dynamic. And, I mean, it'll be interesting to see the Football World Cup, whether, you know, which team goes the furthest. And, uh, you know, are there are the captains midfielders or defenders or, or, or strikers? You know, like, it would imagine, I would imagine it would influence
1: um, the psyche and disposition of the team. Yeah, big time. So just going back to the Waratahs, your first season, how did you first find out that the Tars were after you? And yeah, I guess because you're in your mid twenties by yeah. this stage as well. It must have been a great relief, especially all the hard work that you've done. With the yeah, centers.
0: well, it's funnily enough, we played a second grade grand final, and um, it was, yeah, so Winston Murphy and I started the year at Sydney in fourth grade uh, up at Eastwood, and um, two of our coaches, James Dorney and Steve Yarney, to this day still remember saying, you know, we coached two Warriors and we were our fourth grade centres, and then. Um, they've gone and had wonderfully successful business careers, James and, and Steve but um, we, Winston and I played second grade and um, we lost around like, I think 43, 42 in a, in a grand final Jesus, in, of school. Yeah, in, in, in 2004 anyway we were on Mad Monday and um, got this missed call and uh, I think it was Ewan McKenzie and I thought it was a joke so I hung up on him and said mate, that's ridiculous, so one of the boys was playing a prank, went to bed, it was early um, Monday morning and anyway, I woke up and then um, got another text message saying, "Mate, you better get to Narrabeen. You've been called in for the squad to Argentina, which leaves in three days. You need to pass a medical." Well, I thought, well, Just I "Was thinking of booze." Thinking of booze, yeah. I was, like, I was, <laughs> I was pretty dusty. I had half an ink kebab in my bed, and yeah, so pretty, you know, meteoric rise. And um, we went to training down at Narrabeen, and then three days later, I had a sore sternum, so I wasn't sure if I'd go. Um, cleared past the medical, and then yeah, got on a plane to Salter, and was playing on the wing. Um, and I remember Andy Friend, who was the seventh coach, was you know they were kicking high balls, to was an attitude and I, I don't think I caught one. And I think he must have thought, mate, this bloke, you know, he isn't going to have a very long career. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, it was, it was um, an incredible rise, and, and, and went on the tour and. Um, Was fortunate enough to play a couple of games. Played out of position, but played some games and had a great experience. And Adam Fry and a few of those older guys took me under their wing in terms of, you know, um, how to train and how to prepare. And then came back um, and just had a really good off-season. Met a coach, Steve Surridge, who was an incredible coach, probably the best I've ever had um, at uni, and and he really drove a cultural change. And he was our second-grade coach and just prepared really well off that. So it was given a bit of an incentive, and that was probably the... The, the the opportunity or, or I felt like You know It was there for me to, be, to inspire me along the way Yeah Given your age Did you feel like a rookie at all? Yeah I was 21 So I felt I was certainly young enough um, You know I felt um, Well felt like Because I've been in sevens environments quite well prepared for it
1: But
0: yeah. You know You're playing with the waratops So all of a sudden You know Your dreams are coming true Faster yeah. than you think And I think It was probably nice in that regard Because I only had three days To think about it you know so it was good you know you were about to go and play a game I think we arrived on the Friday and we played Saturday um, and so for me that was exciting because if I thought like I probably thought too long about it it would have made uh, if I had excuse me a whole off season to think about it, I think uh, I would have overthought it so short turnaround helped me and yeah I suppose you pinch yourself back then I, I mean you have those moments though you're walking out the tunnel and you know that this is it right Like, yeah. you know you've got to perform and if you don't there's not many opportunities to get I mean obviously you'd get another one or two um, but um, you know those are the thoughts that certainly ran through your head like will I ever get back here and yeah, for sure. you know it's funny that the only time I haven't thought that was the final in 2008 because it was our first year of Super Rugby and we thought it was so surreal I remember walking out and the fuels were pretty badly busted <clears throat> going into the final with sort of some um, groin pain and stuff and I remember thinking oh it'll be so much better to be back here fully fit <clears throat> and then we obviously got back to the semis in... we just missed out in four foreign against in 2009, but we got back to the semis in 2010 and eleven. but never back to a final. Yeah. And then, you know, you, you, you realise it's never there again. And then, um, obviously, they were fortunate enough to win it. But, you know, those are the moments where you're like, wow, I probably took that for granted and,
1: and, and how hard you have to work, so yeah I suppose you regret those things a little bit yeah 08 grand final though must have been an amazing experience not many people can say they went into Christchurch and had to take on the big dogs half mm. the All Blacks team. yeah guys to have a crack what was it 2012 yeah it was I remember there was a disallowed try where KB was, was was called to be offside when he wasn't
0: and then um, you know Lockie Turner scored two great tries from mm. a cross field kick and yeah look they just wore us down I think uh, they you know Moss Tuili or someone scored a try on, on half time and yeah, look, I think there's those moments in the game where you replay and...
1: Have you watched it? Yeah, watched
0: it? Uh, yeah, I have. I ran some pretty ordinary lines. And, and Berger, Luke Burgess, who was one of my closest mates to the Waratahs, we had a set play, which he just left me hanging. And I remember just going, we mate, we practiced that about 400 times Hospital this ball. year. <laughs> we're, we're eight. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think big moments. It happened so fast, you know. and um, You know, obviously Rob Horn, who's obviously t- tragically, you know, suffered that inj- injury injury Recently, time, yeah, he was playing thirteen, and you know Dan Vickerman, who's not here obviously with us, mm. he was in the team. And you know, when you start thinking about those type of things, it becomes really powerful. There's some mates, Never teammates either. there, yeah, absolutely, they were incredible. I think Tamantara, who maybe not even been in the twenty-two, or he might have been on the bench. And you know, we had a great squad that year, and we worked really hard for each other. And Benny Jacobs got injured; he was my centre partner at the start of the year, but did his ACL. Um, So some great memories and and people involved in that. Um, But uh, it would have been lovely to win, I felt like. We never deserved to win, but I felt like we'd earned an opportunity Mm. to maybe get some
1: rewards. Guys, next week on the show, we've got former NRL legendary referee, Bill Harrigan, so we're going to be approaching more from the official sides of things he's got a great story, obviously he was one of the best and maybe the highest profile official of all time across any sport so Bill's an, an interesting chat, he's got some great stories, and he's one that he shared with me about the big feud that he had with Gordon Tallis How long did it take for you guys to reach that level where you are good
3: Um It wasn't until we retired um, while we were still both out there, we had some animosity and we had some problems in it. One of them from that state of origin and it went through to 2000 and I think it was 2003 where he was the captain of a test match against New Zealand over in Christchurch. He was the captain, he walked up for the toss, wouldn't shake hands with me, didn't look at me, wasn't interested in what I had to say. Um, yet Stacey Jones on the other hand, shaking hands on and only Billy billion was even looking at Gordy thinking, well what's wrong with you? Uh, and then we went out into the game and there was animosity on the field between us. And he really got dirty and he went into a tackle to try and take the sting out on one of the Kiwi players and actually went in with a swinging arm and got Darren Lockyer and smacked Lockyer and knocked Lockyer into space. And I actually said to him went, ha, you even got your own bloke. (laughs) And that was the banter going on between us. Um, But we we finished that all off in a brokered deal between Wayne Bennett, Gordy Tallis, myself, And Dennis, and um, Mick Stone. Yep. And it was arranged that he would fly down, get a cab to my mum and dad's place, mm. where mm. I would meet him, and my mum and dad would host him for an afternoon tea. And we had a cup of tea and scones. And it's serious. Yeah, that's And what we changed it. had that meeting, and we discussed our differences. Yep. And that broke the deal with us to put everything behind us and move on. Well, we were still refereeing and still playing. Mm. Um, Does anyone know about this? They do now, but at the time, it was a dead set. No one knew. Yeah. And we kept it that way. We promised, shook hands on anything. it, that we would never say anything until we both had finished.
1: So be on the lookout for that one. Please subscribe to this show via iTunes or Apple Podcasts. You can also find it on Google Podcasts, Google Play, Overcast Stitcher, Casts, or you'll find it all online at www.talkingwithtk.com. If you could do me a massive favor, share the episodes with your family and friends and please, leave me a review on any of the networks that you receive your podcasts. All right, guys, let's get back to the chat with Tom. Help me describe your style a little bit because in terms of you going after the opposition, niggling, <laughs> and also the crowd, the opposition crowd, yeah. you were known for that a little bit. Where did that come from? <laughs> oh, I think because I had limited ability, I thought
0: I'd make up for it for turning away. <laughs> Um Yeah, look, I think you look back on that... Um, yeah, look, I mean, I think you get caught up in a moment and you behave a certain way, or you say one thing, and you know you chatter away, and yeah, I mean, I think.
1: Did you enjoy it, mate?
0: Uh yeah. well, not now. I know when everyone just thinks, mate, have mouth off the whole time. But look, no, I think it's, all right. it's
1: pretty. It's just a. <laughs> um,
0: I think it, the thing inches, is, I guess I think maybe. they felt like I was just an actor out there. Like I was very extroverted in that world, mm. but anyone who knows me quite well would say, and everyone's like, oh, he never stops, but you know, behind the scenes, I'm very introverted, really quite quiet, try and keep to myself. You know, I think I I find academic and research pursuits quite cathartic because you're in your own mind thinking about things. So when I was out there, um, you know, they said a bit back, they'd say something to me and then I'd obviously chirp back and then, you know, know, sometimes you'd instigate it and, um, you know, I think and you know it'll be interesting you know talking about cricket it'll be interesting to see that you know what happens and, and you know is sledging has it gone too far and, and all of that stuff and I think it's gone on for a long period of time I think that's got to be
1: the worst sports you'd have to think.
0: <laughs> yeah but I think it's gone on for such a long time across all sports you know I think you'd be surprised it might be in track and field you know at the start of a race they probably say, yeah, something, say something yeah, yeah for sure. but um I think it's sad that it's it's become a focal point when they're such good at performing their skills so hopefully there's a shift and yeah, look I think I hopefully my daughter and, and my family can rem, I can be remembered for being
1: somewhat of a decent player. Just, just, <laughs> just, just, I was just gonna ask you about the post trial celebrations though. Yeah. You had a couple there. Where yeah. were they? Where did they developed from? Well,
0: John Cena. You know, you can't see me because I felt like the irony was I was so slow, like everyone could see me. But
1: so you're a big wrestling guy as well. Yeah,
0: I like that. Um, and then, yeah, you know, mate, yeah, you're in the change room, and you know, Virgo would often encourage me. Hey, mate, if we score, we'll do this. And has like, mm-hmm.
1: got a lot of influence on you. Yeah, there, he so.
0: did. He was from my roommate. He was a great guy, for, you know, and a great, you know, a great, uh, friend for a long period of time there when we were playing. So, um, yeah, you know, yeah. Mate, you know, that's what you do when you're a professional footballer. You've got a lot of hours in your hands, so you can think of these things. So, <laughs> yeah, looking back, I don't know why I thought that, but I certainly tended to think of some silly things along the way. And, you know, you'd get into the sheds and you'd get a text message from your mates like, like what were you thinking? And you're like, yeah, well, look, we choreographed it and we planned it, but, um,
1: <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was a good part of it. What was your nickname in the team?
0: Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Oh I've got lights probably not one for one, one I can put on a, on a live uh, <laughs> podcast uh no nah. well, I don't know what do they used to call me well, they used to call me the minibus for a while. <clears throat> the minibus? Yeah, because I was so fat. And um, they used to call the bus Christian Carasiano, who was an inside centre for Eastwood, who was yeah, like about 140 kilos. So they called me the minibus. Dean Mum used to, you know, try and rhyme that up because I was so uh, so overweight and rotundress, he thought. So. <clears throat> and Porky. Porky, I got a lot. And then Migaloo. Migaloo was the white whale. They've cuffed you up. Yeah, that they got stuck right into me. Um, Dean, Dean Mum was good at that. Um, and
1: so, yeah, look... Um, it's, uh, yeah, you look back fondly on those times. Yeah, they might call you slow, but at training, I'm sure that you weren't last. Is there someone you want to call out for being slower than you?
0: Well, look, I did hold a few records over 10 metres there for a while, I, 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 I claim. Special speed over that, that uh, distance. 10 metres acceleration was my exactly. But but um, <clears throat> yeah, look, uh, look, I was fast enough to, to score a few
1: tries along the way, which was good, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Tom, so awesome. great end to your career, but yeah, it's British and Irish Lions, two yeah. tries to cap it off. Must yeah. be a good way to finish it up. Yeah, look, I think there's
0: that moment where you're sitting on the field or standing on the field afterwards and you realise it's all over and
1: I was really fortunate
0: for Michael Checker and the organisation um, that allowed me to, to to exit the way you do. I mean, endings are hard, you know, like I think I won't go into the transition sphere too much, but... You know, it's it's those lights. You know, it was you you miss it so much for so many reasons: the camaraderie, the mm. the, the ability to test yourself at that level, the ability to show your case your skills. Um, but yeah, you know, a, a bit of a blurry night. I sort of felt like the first try I was probably going to get run down. Um, but that's ten metres, speed mate. Yeah, it was Ebo was coming across, but luckily got there, and then. Uh, You know, the second one was Will Skelton got a really good offload and I just sort of hit a short line and then, uh, you know, scored and then got stuck in the Johnny Sexton. So it was sort of, um, yeah, that was the last memory. I scored a try and then was off. So um, I felt like, um, you know, 84 games went like a a flash. And, you know, as I touched upon earlier, I think it would have been nice to reflect on it and enjoy it a bit more along the way. But, yeah, their memories hopefully you can carry with you. And, yeah, you know. it's been a pretty cool ride
1: you've got a lot of life experience and a lot of rugby experience Mm. has moving into maybe rugby coaching like normal coaching not SNC is that interesting
0: yeah uh, I think so eventually I think they like everything you need time away from it so I'd like Mm. to set up some other things and then um, you know I think it's funny you know the business I work in now there's a lot of one-on-one coaching every day which is quite cool you know you can take people on a journey that you know their own athletic journey or You know, I might be rehabilitating them or they want to run half marathons or whatever it may be. So teaching them to run or move better or eliminate pain or dysfunction. So that's pretty incredible. Um, I think coaching in this day and age just isn't about coaching now. It's about running a program. You've got to be across all facets, medical, S&C, physio, um, recruitment, retention, um, you know, you've got the sponsorship elements, etc. Yeah. Um, so it's a big job, and it's, it's a like big a CEO. Yeah, say, it is, and that, it's yeah. a big and it's a big time sink on your family. And not not that the rewards aren't great, but I suppose you feel like you live your whole life on that sort of adrenal cortex. You know, um, cortisol levels high, burnout, stress, performance, yeah. anxiety that. I think being a coach would be just like being a player. You're know, you, you you're, you're so dependent upon the results and the playing group. So um, I've answered that question really badly. I think some people would love me to coach, um, but... Time and a place. Yeah, it is. And so I, I'd like to say I would, but it might not ever come to a position where I am. Um, but I'd like to be in a position where you could do it your way. And I think that that's the key, is to be able to say, hey, I don't need this to make money or put food on the table I'm doing this because I love it and I want to do it. Um, So here here are the rules of negotiation, you know, and then I think that's an important place is getting it set up so you can make change because you've really got probably a three-year window. You you inherit a list or a team, year one, and you're changing their values and And behaviours. And then year two... You're probably trying to recruit a few people and you're structurally happy with their values and behaviours and then you're you're tactically and technically teaching them. So you want, you know, and and organisations want to see progress within that, you know, those first two years. And then effectively you're sort of setting it up for that that third year to win or fourth year to win and, and some some teams do it better and, and, and do it faster but you know there's a window there and or a peri window to performance really. St George is a great example yep. of that this year yeah it is
1: with Paul McGregor. yeah it is third and I, year, I think
0: sort of yeah it is and I think that there's a you know there's a, some good stats for those that are behind the scenes in Super Rugby that you need your halves to be together sort of between three to five years minimum so um Unfortunately, you know, if you do your math on that, that doesn't leave many Australian sides capable of winning it. Obviously, Jake and Bernard and and Nick Phipps of the Waratahs fit that category, so that's good for them. But, um, you know, I think if the opportunity arises and it it fits your values and you're willing to to, to have the courage to negotiate that and you don't have to do it, Mm -hmm. I don't think I'll ever be in that position. But, yeah, that'd be be something I'd be interested in, I think. I'd have to get permission from the family, I think. They, they they feel like they've only just won me back from rugby, so. Um, I've <laughs> and you've en- still got your hair too. Yeah, I've still got my hair, so they're they're, they're enjoying um, sort of Sundays where I'm not um, replaying every set play in my head and and, and watching lots of games. And um, do you
1: find it hard to watch footy?
0: Uh, yeah, I did. I've only been back to the Waratahs twice, so once in once in five years I went back the other week um, when they beat the beat the Highlanders. But um, yeah, I, and I haven't been back to a uni game yet, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, my Saturdays are a bit different. It's, it's probably the same frustration that I'm actually trying to teach my daughter how to ride a bike. and obviously she? Uh, she's four, and I'd find that she's as difficult as probably coaching a football team. You know, like She's happy to give me feedback, but but probably not receive it. So it's um, it's
1: a good test for me. So she's got the training rules, but you've got the training rules, really. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's testing her patience.
1: All right, Tom, we're going to finish off with some personality questions. Yep. Who was the player that most... Opposition player that made you work harder because they were so good.
0: Oh, my, nono. I mean, for someone who was considered crash and bash in his early years, developed an incredible step, offload, (coughs) passing game, kicking game. Mm. And just the, you know so endearing and charismatic that every time he pulled on the black jersey it didn't matter how bad his provincial form was was it Auckland or Wellington or the Highlanders was able to deliver and you know you always felt like particularly at Eden Park their spiritual home when they'd come off a loss or a poor performance Ma would stand up and yeah look he was one that um, I think was just over time you know 100 tests a legend of the game a superstar yeah absolutely
1: success 21 year old Tom Carter (laughs) <laughs> so now, how much has it changed?
0: Uh, yeah, a lot. A lot. I think the simple things, you know, when you go through that journey of, you know, I've been involved in professional sport 15 years now. I think you look out the other side and it's the thing, simple things that matter the most is quality time with family and being able to, I suppose, get to a Sunday and, and, and be at peace with it all and, mm. and feel comfortable in your own skin that you're not governed by metrics or performances or or the result on the scoreboard, and I think that that's probably a good telltale of whether you can coach. As long as your ego and ambition isn't involved in it, and you do it for the right reasons, I think you'll have a lot of success, but I see a lot of people going into it with the wrong motives, which is really, the motive should be is to help grow and develop young men into being better human beings, um, <clears throat> or help shape them to being the best version of themselves either way. so. Yeah, I mean, success for me is probably you know it sits around contentment of who I am in my own skin. I think, as I said to you earlier, the the, the genre of what the world sees out in the field, the sledging, the the, the, that type of person is probably very different to to the one behind.
1: It must have opened your eyes now with the PT world, but when you see yourself changing lives and people, some people aren't all professional athletes and they don't have genes to be. And they need motivation, they need education.
0: And, and it's mind-blowing that, you know, the people that I see, how hard they work, you know, they work full-time jobs, but they're happy to get up at 4 or 5 a.m. in the morning to work and train and then do it in the Arvo. And so I think if I had my time again, I probably wish I wish I knew now, what I, or sorry, wish I knew back then what I knew now. I think that would be a very different to how I approach it all.
1: Yeah. All right, favourite venue to play in Australia and then back overseas?
0: Oh, without a doubt, SFS, you know, on a Friday night we used to sort of get 35 38,000 and you'd come out the, t- the, the change rooms and turn left and they'd be banging on the cage. And, you know, some big moments. Field Wars 100, the semi against the Sharks was just, you know, magical, you know, stuff where you just felt like, you know, um, you, you just felt like you could do anything and you just didn't want to let them down. So, you know, SFS at home, um, I suppose away. Loftus first felt pretty incredible in Pretoria. You know, it's just this... Playing any footy in South Africa. It's just this incredible experience. But probably Newlands, Newlands in in, in Cape Town. We played there in two thousand and eight. We were second and we were third, and there would have been fifty two thousand. I remember rocking the bus about four k's out, oh, wow. and you couldn't hear yourself. And you know we were trying to do calls, but KB, you couldn't hear it. And yeah, so yeah, I'd say I'd say Newlands.
1: It's crazy what's going on in Cape Town at the moment with the water, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's
0: amazing. It's amazing. But it's such a beautiful part of the world, you know. Like yeah, something. the
1: pictures look unbelievable from the actual area. But. Yeah. Sad. All right, final question, Tom. You're going to be hosting a private dinner party? Mm. Five invites. now. only rules, no family or friends. Yeah. But you can invite anyone dead or alive. Who would you like to invite?
0: Oh, dead or alive. Wow. I mean, yeah. Wow. That's, um... That's, uh... That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Uh, well, I'd love to have Freud. I mean, psychology is something that's important to me, so I suppose you're a big book guy. Yeah, I love books. So, so Freud, um, you know, sociology, philosophy, psychology books. Yep. Um, uh, so Freud. Um, uh, I suppose, um, Verschonhowski, You know, who's been big in the uh, sports science. Um, Sphere, it'd be great to talk to him about you know the principles of strength and conditioning and, and, and what he saw over time. Yep, um, that's two you, you've really got me here. I suppose Matthew Phelps or Michael Phelps, sorry, the swimmer, he'd be exactly. pretty cool, yeah. you know, like to hear his journey of, of what he did over a period
1: of time. He's a machine,
0: yeah, he is. Uh, wasn't he on
1: 8,000 calories or something? Yeah,
0: he was, so pretty incredible. Um, so I've got, yep, I've got three, um. Mate, you've done well here to stump me. Um, I suppose, mate, Sir Donald Bradman. I mean, you'd want to know how, yeah. how could you be so good at that for such a period of time? What what drove him? Um, with no S&C. With no SNC, yeah, which was you know, which is pretty incredible. Um, uh, that's four. I, mean, I I'm really battling here. Um, and then maybe the lowest, and then maybe like uh, my and Hillary. I reckon you know someone to know about what. What it was like to endure that and be a pioneer in those moments when you're, you know, trying to do the unthinkable back then.
1: Yeah, nice. I'll give you an easy one. Give me a book, record. Uh
0: There's one called The Elasticity or the the um, endure mind and enduring mind and body, and it's about the the limitations of human performance and running, and it's written by this guy who just, you know, who was a who was a pretty much a, a uh, run fun runner and 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 over time and he explores i guess the breaking two uh, project in 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 monaco last year and and then i guess the limits to human performance is fascinating really fascinating to 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 delve in is it is it physiological or is it psychological and and actually where does the human body what's it capable of and what's its
1: end point so I, i found that really interesting smashed it well tom really appreciate you joining me on the podcast before i let you go I want everyone following Tom online, www.humanperformance.com.au. Check out his Facebook. It's Human Performance, but the handle is Performance Tom or Twitter and Instagram, we've got performance underscore Tom. Yep. Now, if anyone wants to train with you, are you still taking on any clients?
0: Yeah, can oh, they, yeah, any yeah they can through Instagram or through my Facebook page. Um, and we're doing a sort of a, a running group preparing them for the city to surf and then the Blackmoors Running Festival in September. So, yeah, look, all inquiries welcome and, and, and love to be able to. If I can't provide the answers, definitely can help recommend them to shape their you know, athletic goals towards someone who
1: can. I hear that you're running 8Ks every day too. Can uh, people join with that too, Tom? Yeah, look, it's a
0: challenge. I I don't know if I'll get there, but we'll see how we go, mate. I've got a a, uh,
1: a very handy middle
0: distance runner who's challenged me to do it, so we'll see where we end up. Well, Tom, appreciate it, mate. Thanks Thanks for
1: stopping by the podcast.
0: Pleasure. Thanks for watching. Cheers.
1: Guys, thanks for listening to my interview with Tom Carter. You can find all my episodes online at www.talkingwithtk.com. You can also subscribe and please rate the show. Via apple or google podcasts you can find me across all the different social medias facebook and twitter I'm at talking with tk instagram i'm tristan nell or please send me any to any time an email at tristan at talking with tk.com if you did enjoy the episode please give us a review on either itunes or google podcasts and please share it with your family and friends all right guys next week on the show Former NRL legendary referee Bill Harrigan, so be on the lookout for that one. But in the meantime, I'm Tristan Cannell, and this is Talking with TK.